This podcast is presented to you by High Desert Word Center in Barstow, California. For more information, visit hdwc.org. Hallelujah. Who's glad to be in the house of the Lord today? Amen. All right. Well, if I get the ushers uh, to come forward, they got the outlines for the sermon. None of you got one at the door today. And so uh, I'm going to have them hand those out right now. And so today, as you've heard us talking about for the last couple of weeks, is definitely an interesting message. I've never given a fallout message on this. It may be one time to the youth group about 10 or 12 years ago, but I've really never given a message on this. And I've, I've never heard my dad give a full message on this. In fact, I've heard very few preachers give a full message on this. So, But what we're doing today is we're going to discuss... The Christian and alcohol. We're going to look at some Bible truths about alcohol. Now, this is going to be very much a teaching message, not a not a preaching one. So if you see me getting too wild, say, reel it in, Pastor Dave, just where this is teaching time. Because it's real easy for me to just take off to, you know, hoop it and hollering. But what I want to do is have a time of teaching today. And I'll preface all of it with what we're discussing and looking at is purely out of love. Everything I'm saying today, it's not a lot. Nothing that we're going to discuss today, I promise you, nothing uh, that, that, that I've studied and looked at and I'm going to teach and preach today is out of, how dare you, you are bad, you change right now, or, or else. None of it's that. I promise you, I've got the purest motives and the purest heart ever right now. Because I, I really want to see what the Bible says about one of the most debated topics in Christianity. I can tell you, every single week... I hear people and I see people online discussing, you know, well, well, sure Christians drink. And nine times out of ten, I hear this canned answer. Yes, brother, you may drink, but in moderation, you may not drink in excess. You can drink as much as you want as long as you don't get drunk. And I hear that all the time. And I'm like, okay, that's a little scary because who defines who drunk is? Does the CHP define that or do you define that or did God define that or did your do- Who defines that? That's a scary line to look at. And so we're going to get into some of this, but... I've got a lot of stuff to share. And listen, hey, if you don't agree with me this morning, that's fine. I'm a patient man. I can totally wait until we get to heaven for God to tell you how right I was. Come on, somebody. Oh, I'm, I'm, I'm kidding. It's, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. All right. I had to throw that out there. So anyway, um, I want to there's there's several. Well, two main books that I've spent the last two months studying along with. God's holy word, and I've had my Strong's Concordance out, which is like a good 1,500 pages. So, man, just been pouring over this. I've, I've never studied this much for any single sermon in my life. I've put a lot of hours into this. But one book I want to show you that we do have here, it's in the bookstore. It's called Do Kings Drink Wine? And this book is just, it's $10. It's a very easy, simple read. I'm very serious. This book is very good. And uh, Dr. Lemuel Baker, who used to be a, a member here till he moved back down to uh, Loma Linda area, but he was a member here. He wrote this book, and it is a solid, good, good book on this topic. Very biblical. Of course, he's got a Ph.D. in Jewish studies, and so he knows quite a bit about the Old Testament and Jewish studies. And another book I have studied, which we don't have in the bookstore, but you, you can look it up online. 
It's called To Drink or Not to Drink, and this is by Dr. Jim Caseman, and he is uh, the founder of uh, AFCM, and that's the organization uh, that got my dad here to Barstow, California. Anyway, also PhD in, Bible, in biblical studies, so knows what he's talking about. This isn't just some redneck that wanted to write a book. This is some legit people that wrote some books on this topic, and of course, as I said, the main thing is the Word of God, because if you want to look online and Google and all that stuff, you're going to find a lot of different opinions on this. I'll tell you that right now. You'll find a lot that agree with some of the stuff I'm saying, a lot that disagree. And that's fine because everybody has their opinion. I have an opinion, but you know the only opinion that counts? God's opinion. And so, hey, if I'm saying a bunch of stuff that I can't prove out of the Bible, then my opinion stinks. I'm pretty confident I can prove what I'm saying. (laughs) But at the same time, It's not my opinion that counts, and it's not your opinion, and whoever you Google that has a blog on the Internet, it's God's opinion and God's word. And so what I want to do is I want to pray, though lots of prayers gone over this, because you're not the only people listening to this. There will be hundreds of people listening to this on the Internet by the end of this coming week. And so I want anybody that hears this message to to have an open heart and to receive the word of God. So let's open in prayer today. Father, in Jesus' name, I thank you, Lord, so much for your holy written word. And, Lord, just like that song we were just singing a few minutes ago, what it all boils down to is, Jesus, we love you. Jesus, we want to please you. We want to serve you the very best that we can, Lord, because you deserve nothing less than our very best, God. And, and, and it's not so, so we can buy your love. It's not so we can force you to have to love us. Lord, we want to give you our best because we love you so much. And if there's anything in our life that's hindering us, if there's anything in our life that needs laid down so we can be a better disciple, Lord, we'll do it. We're not going to hold back from you. We thank you for it in the name of Jesus. Everybody said? Okay, so you notice on your outline there, uh, I could have narrowed it down to one piece of paper, I, I, and I was trying, but then I was like, yeah, forget it. I'm going to give them as much information as I can on there to take this home and look at it. So, you're welcome. Oh, I thought, okay, you're welcome. So, you got a giant outline today, never had a three-pager before. So, you got three pages there that I want you to look at. But what I want to do as I open up is briefly look at a few that are basically undebatable facts, just straight up truth. There's no gray area on, on these few things that I'm going to talk about here real quick. And, um, and well, praise God. Let's just look at this. Number one, this is if you're, if you're living your life according to the Bible. Now, if you don't care what the Bible says, you know, then this, this doesn't apply. But number one, undebatable, being drunk is absolutely wrong. There's, that's, I don't know a single born-again Christian of any denomination that'll argue that you can be drunk and it's okay, okay? So, uh, well, where, where did we draw that conclusion? Very simply, Ephesians 5.18 says, Don't be drunk with wine, because that will ruin your life. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit. And so, if you need a good extra pep in your step, if you need a little fire in your bones, you're not supposed to turn to Jack Daniels, you're supposed to turn to Jesus Christ, right? You're supposed to get the Holy Spirit. Now, you know, there's a lot of places that say spirits on their door. And, you know, that's kind of confusing, right? You see, I, I know in Indiana, the, the local bars and stuff, they say spirits served here. And, I mean, I'm a Pentecostal kid. I'm like, all right, let's go get some spirit. 
No, no, no. We need the Holy Spirit. There's spirits in those places, no doubt. There are spirits there, but they're not the Holy Spirit, right? And so, no doubt about it, though, that I'm looking at just a couple of undebatable facts here. We'll get into some other stuff in a little bit, but no Christian that actually believes the Bible will debate me on this fact that it is absolutely wrong and unscriptural to be drunk. There, how much more plain can you get than don't be drunk? That's, that's pretty much an open and shut case right there. And as, and I want to continue to say as we move forward, I'm trying to fit about 150 hours worth of study into a 45 to 50 minute message. So I'm moving fast. Guns are blazing, okay? You have that sword ready, and if you don't catch up, it's gonna be on the screen, okay? So, alright. Number two, now this, this sounds mean, but this is not my making up. I'm simply, I have to say what the Bible says, okay? And the Bible says drunkards don't go to heaven. Now, let me explain and I'll show you verses because again, I don't, I, I wouldn't, I want everybody to go to heaven. But this to me is someone who consistently crosses whatever the limit is on alcohol, whatever that may be, and has absolutely no intention to change, no remorse, and doesn't care what the Bible says. I know a lot of people that are Christians that are struggling and working and recognize that this is an issue and they are praying for help to overcome this. Now, I could be wrong, but I don't think they fall into this category. God, God will know that. I don't, I'm not going to say that they're just some drunkard. There's somebody that is sick and trying, trying to get help. Does that make sense? But then I know some people that they'll show up to church on Sunday. They were out all night tossing them back. They may even and they don't care one single lick. They 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 know the Bible may say this, but that doesn't phase them at all. They're not looking to slow down. They're not looking to even remotely make any type of change in their life in this area. They get drunk on a on a consistent basis. I do believe this is talking to them. I don't believe that that person is going to heaven when Jesus comes back. And I'll show you two verses, two New Testament verses to prove that. And that's 1 Corinthians 6.10. And some of the verses today will repeat several times. But 1 Corinthians 6.10. Yes, yes, wow. Control yourselves, I know. This is a wild one. This is going to be, wow. Yes, this is going to be a wild sermon here. <laughs> no, this is, this, this is teaching today, man. You know, there's preaching where we get you pumped up and amped up and, 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 and all that stuff. And that's kind of usually more my go-to thing. I just, that's who I am. But today's, this is straight up teaching from God's word. So, 1 Corinthians 6, 10, it gives a whole list, uh, verses 9 and 10, of people that will not inherit the kingdom of God. And I'm, you know, here it is. And so it says, or are thieves or greedy people or drunkards or are abusive or cheat people. None of these will inherit the kingdom of God. So I can't add to that. And I certainly can't take away from that list. God, God said that I didn't say that. So if this is offensive to somebody, your offense can't be at me. It would have to be you'd have to take that up with God. This is not my opinion. That's straight up the word of God. And this is somebody that this this is their lifestyle. There's people that their lifestyle is thievery. They shoplift all the time. And then they go to church. And they don't think anything of it. I'm sorry, that's a thief. An unrepentant, no remorse thief. They, According to this, they will not inherit the kingdom of God. There are people that are abusive and cheat people. I mean, there's some very abusive people that go to churches on Sunday mornings. Let, let that sink in for a minute. They may be here and praise God, and they go out and abuse their wife. They abuse their husband. 
They abuse their children. They abuse all sorts of things. Well, I'm so, according to scripture, that person doesn't go to heaven. Uh, how about Galatians 5 verse 21? Galatians 5.21, it echoes pretty much the same thing. Uh, again, not adding, not taking away, simply reporting the facts. All right. Uh, Galatians 5 verse 21. And it says this. It has a list of the fruits of the flesh, the works of the flesh. And I just picked it up in the middle here. Verse 21. Envy, drunkenness, wild parties and other sins like these. Let me tell you again, as I have before, that anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. So again, this isn't saying somebody that got drunk one time or or somebody that went to a wild party one time. This is living that sort of life. This is what you do. Does that make sense? There's a difference between I committed a sin one time or I used to live that way and now I don't anymore. That's That doesn't count. You're nothing like that anymore. You're the new person. So that's not referring to you. So number one of pretty clear-cut black and white Bible facts, no gray area, Being drunk is absolutely wrong. Number two, it says drunkards don't go to heaven. Number three, alcohol kills thousands of people in the U.S. each year, splits tons of families apart, and does tons of harm. I don't think that that's controversial to say. I, I, that's not stretching, stretching it at all. Um, 88,000 people die from alcohol related issues each year. That's more than guns and every other illegal drug combined. That's according to the CDC, the Center for Disease Control. That's not a biased thing. That's just straight fact. Over 88,000 people, Americans, die every year from alcohol-related things, whether they get hit by a drunk driver, whether they poison their liver, whatever the case is. That's pretty bad, isn't it? I mean, yeah, give me one of those. All right? 31% of car wrecks are caused by somebody that's under the influence of alcohol. That's a lot. That's a lot. I don't know how many car wrecks there are every year in the United States, but 31% are all caused by the exact same thing. I don't, that, that's, that's a huge percentage for any type of epidemic. And this is sad to me. In 2014, 1,825 college students between the ages of 18 and 24 died from alcohol related causes. I, I'm sure it stays the same pretty much year by year, but think about that. Over 1,800 people under the age of 24. They hadn't even got out there and really started life yet. And their life ended before they ever got to really fulfill and even begin to walk out God's plan for their life. That, to me, is a really sad number to look at. Again, these are just facts. Then also, over 10% of the children in the United States have one of their parents practicing alcohol abuse. Most probably these kids grow up experiencing verbal, emotional, and physical abuse. Often these kids suffer emotional and physical neglect, making them scared throughout their lifetime. And that's from the Phoenix Recovery Center. So, again, that's pretty sad. Uh, I know families. I know people. I am related to many people that that describes their household and their life. Again, none of this is judgmental. None of this is pointing fingers We're just stating some facts here before we dig in to the word of God in just a minute. So number four, good question. Can you still go to heaven if you drink alcohol without getting drunk? Well, okay. I I believe that uh, you will not miss heaven over being a social drinker. I I think that there's people that, for whatever reason, they enjoy drinking wine or beer. I believe that they can go to heaven But your standard as a Christian should not be to simply see how far you can push the limits and still make it to heaven. 
You should not want to see how much you can get away with before you cross the line and lose your salvation. That makes no sense to me. Uh, why you would want to see when I played basketball, I, I didn't say, how could I be the most mediocre player on the court? Hmm. Well, I, I want to be on the team, but I don't really want to contribute that much. I don't want to definitely don't want to be a starter. I just want to at least say that I was on the team. That's basically what you're saying. I know I wanted to be the best player I could be. I wanted to I wanted to start. I wanted to help my team win some games, not just say, hey, I, hey, I got a jersey. Look at this, guys. I, I was there. I was totally there. OK, you know, I think about it uh, about it this way. Uh, you know, I've, I've got some people in here that have hiring capabilities. Some of you are bosses. I mean, we're all a boss. What's up? But at the same time, at the same time, some of you are actual bosses, more so than some of the rest of us. So, you know, think about this, though. When you're going to hire someone, what if that person comes in and says, okay, listen, I'm just going to be up front with you. I need this job because I want the benefits it provides. But just shoot straight with me now. What is the minimal amount that I can do and still be employed here? I just I want to be just as mediocre. I mean, what's the what's the minimum amount that I can show up and still get a paycheck and get the insurance? I really need dental. I just what what's the minimal I could do? I'm tell, I mean, if I was going to interview someone like that, I'd be like, we don't need you. We need people that are committed to this job. We need somebody that really wants to be in this position. Does that make sense? Okay, let's take it a step further. So let's just say that when when we were getting married, let's say that when I proposed to Katie, I got down on one knee. I said, you know, will you marry me? It was beautiful. You should have been there. It was awesome. So anyway, it was great. She looked great. I looked great. It was awesome. And so uh, and so she says, yes. What if I get right back up and say, okay, now that we got that out of the way, you know, what now that I got that out of the way, what? is the, the the minimal amount of commitment that it's going to take for you to stay with me after we get married. I, I don't want to be a great husband. I don't want to be the worst, but I just, uh, what, what's the minimal? What is the maximum amount of cheating you will allow me to get away with before you kick me out? I would say, what a loser, man. Dump that fool now. There's a, I mean, that's, there's every red flag in the world right there. So why would the Christian attitude be, Okay, okay, okay. I, I get it. Being, being, being flat out hammered is totally wrong. What is the closest I can tread that line without getting kicked out of heaven? Mull it over. Mull it over. Okay. So, now I, I wanna, uh, as, as I continue to move forward, okay, I, I, I'll be transparent about my alcohol background, okay, where, where my earliest you know, beliefs and uh, and whatnot come from out of alcohol. OK, so the samples family, and you've heard me talk about this some. We have a very long line of alcoholism on my dad's side. And I'm not talking about Otis the drunk on Andy Griffith where it's funny and we all laugh. No, I'm talking about violent, abusive, terrible people uh, that I, you know, I'm ashamed that I'm related to. And so, uh, and I, I mean, I hate to say that, but I've intentionally kept my children away from most people with the last name samples because I don't trust them. And they have been very bad in my life. Um, my earliest alcohol memory is my uncle trying to kill my dad when I was about six years old. Uh, he had come, he had tried to give his life to the Lord. And so we, we took him into the house you know, and, uh, you know, we did, you know, I, I didn't have any say so in it. I was six or seven. So we bring him in 
And he decides that he wants to go down to the bar in town and witness to all of his former drunkard buddies. Now, keep in mind, he's been out of this lifestyle for a couple of weeks. I don't know, maybe a month. And he goes back to witness. Well, uh, my dad's like, oh, you're not ready. Don't. That's a bad idea. Don't do that. You're not strong enough to be down there right now. But he goes anyway. When we come home, uh, we had been in town doing stuff. Windows were busted out of the house. Uh, my little brother had a little wooden high chair that my grandparents or someone had made. He had just torn this, just wrecked our house. And my mom grabs us kids and runs us to the bedroom and locks us in the closet. And I hear glass breaking. And so my uncle swings at my dad, pastor samples, swings at my dad. Dad ducks, his arm goes right through one of the windows, and it cuts his artery open in his arm, and he is just bleeding like he was going to die. And so they get a helicopter out there to the country, and they lifeline him to the hospital in Indianapolis. And so at the age of six, that kind of makes you think, I don't think I really want to be involved with that type of thing. And so my parents, you know, they, they shielded us. There was never any alcohol in our house. And, you know, I don't regret that. I don't look back and say, man, all my friends had a better growing up than I did. They, I, I'm jealous. Now, I, I mean, I, I, I had a good childhood. I didn't miss out on my parents not drinking alcohol. So, uh, and then I will say also, um, I, I haven't ever been drunk in my life. You can laugh at that or, or you can say good job. I'm not looking for either of those things. I've never been drunk. My extent of alcohol intake, uh, I'm just being transparent. I'm just laying it all out there so you know where I'm coming from. I had some neighbors when I was like 10 or 11. They wanted to try some of their dad's beer, so we dipped our fingers in beer and, and, and tasted beer that way. Then one time in high school, uh, after, a, after a basketball game, some guys got together. We went out to the woods and camp, and I wanted to look tough, so I drank about a half of a, of a beer. Um, and anyway, that's, that, I didn't like it. Uh, I didn't get drunk, and, I, and I'm not saying that to toot my own horn. I, I even wish I hadn't done that. It was disgusting, and I, I – yeah. And so uh, that's the extent of, of my alcohol intake. That's not to make me look good. I'm just laying the facts out there so you'll know that I'm not coming from some amazing testimony of being delivered from alcohol because I wasn't. But my dad was. My dad was a full alcoholic. And then at 29 years old, he met Jesus. And he never, ever again uh, wanted a drop of alcohol, never touched it again because he saw that it did a lot of damage to his life. It, it cost him a lot in those short amount of years. So anyway, that's uh, that's where we're at right now. Um, and I just briefly want to share this. Man, I, I'm trying to fit so much in. Are you sticking with me, folks? So um, this is from a Baptist pastor in Memphis, Tennessee. I, I found this on YouTube. I thought it was interesting. Uh, but he gave six reasons why he chooses not to drink alcohol. I'm just sharing these. I'm not going into uh, depth on them. But I thought these, this is a pretty good list that he gave. He said, number one, because it doesn't take much alcohol to become intoxicated. Like, okay, you know, maybe you're going to cross that magic threshold really quick. Uh, number two, we have plenty of other choices. In the Bible times, there weren't a whole lot of options. But, I mean, I went into the new uh, Terrible Herbs Chevron station the other day, and you've seen these soda machines that can make like a million drinks out of one spout. If you can't find the drink that you want in there, you've got issues. I mean, come on. It's every flavor, every drink in the world. If you just need something other than water or whatever or tea, 
go over there. It was uh, 79 cents. Get you a big gulp. It's, it's good stuff. But you don't to tell me that I'm just tired of water. You got a lot of other options. Thank you for your holy silence. Okay. Uh, number three, this is again, this guy made this list. Alcoholic beverages are no longer necessary for medicinal purposes. I'll cover that in a little bit. But if you say that you need it to help your tummy feel better, go buy some Tums and shut it. Uh, Pepto-Bismol. Heartburn, acid, indigestion. Okay. Uh, number four, he said alcoholic beverages are addictive. And if you don't think that's true, meet the samples family. I can show you some people that, yeah. All right, number five, he said, I don't want to be a bad example to other people. What I do in moderation, my kids might do in excess. And so uh, that's a good, really good point. And then the sixth thing that this Baptist pastor said is it hinders your witness for Christ. And I believe that I can very effectively prove that by the end of this sermon also. And uh, on a kind of funny note, this pastor also mentioned, because a lot of people will say, you know, okay, so what? Maybe it is wrong, but so is overeating. The Bible talks about gluttons. Yeah, it does. Overeating's a sin. Yeah, gluttony's a sin. But what this guy said is, hey, if I'm on a dark country road in the middle of the night, I'd rather have a fat driver come in my direction than a drunk driver. I was like, <laughs> that's true. <laughs> You're kind of doing a little more damage to other people. Uh, praise God. So, all right, two quick opening text verses, and then I'm going to really get into this. Uh, Proverbs 20, verse 1. Let's flip over there. Proverbs 20, verse 1. Is anybody having the time of their life right now like I am? Proverbs 20 and verse 1. And so this is uh, right here. It says, wine produces mockers. Alcohol leads to brawls. I'm not going to ask for any amens or show of hands, but I know they're there. Those led astray by drink cannot be wise. Okay, well, all right. Proven fact that alcohol definitely impairs your judgment and your uh, decision making. Uh, Proverbs 23, verses 29 through 35. Proverbs 23, verses 29 through 35. And I give my dis. My disclaimer yet again, this is all from a heart of love, not judgment, not none of this. This is just seeing what the Bible has to say. Proverbs 23, verse 29, it says, who has woe, who has sorrow, who has strife, who has complaints, who has needless bruises, who has bloodshot eyes, those who linger over wine, who go to sample bowls of mixed wine. Do not gaze at wine when it is red, when it sparkles in the cup, when it goes down smoothly. In the end, it bites like a snake and poisons like a viper. Your eyes will see strange sights and your mind will imagine confusing things. You will be like one sleeping on the high seas, lying on top of the rigging. They hit me, you'll say, but I'm not hurt. They beat me, but I don't feel it. When will I wake up so I can find another drink? All right. So, again, not going to add to that or take away from that. But those are, you know, hey, that's the Proverbs regarding uh, alcohol. So let's get into the nitty gritty. Who's ready for the deep stuff? All right. Now, I've tried to really break this down to, uh, you know what I mean, uh, just a very understandable level. But I'm not going to lie. This was some deep study 
uh, and and some, sometimes confusing, sometimes really searching uh, for the scriptural truth on some things. But here we go. Let's follow along. Uh, number one, I'm going to look at types of wine in the Bible, types of wine in the Bible. So there are three main words used in the Old Testament Hebrew for wine. There's a couple other words, but they are used maybe one or two times. There are three main words used in the Old Testament Hebrew for wine. The first one is tirosh. And I even put the actual Hebrew spelling. Look at that. I don't know how to do that. I just copied and pasted. But, uh, but tirosh, this word is used 38 times in the Old Testament. And I abbreviated Old Testament and New Testament. So when you see NT, that's New Testament. Uh, this word is used 38 times in the Old Testament and literally means fresh grape juice all 38 times. It refers to fresh fruit juices, though it is translated as wine into English. This one is undeniably not modern-day wine as we think of it, okay? And so I think I've got a couple of examples here. Proverbs 3.10 uses the word tirosh, and it says, and you can turn there, or you can just pay attention, write down, but I'm moving fast. It says, then he will fill your barns with grain, and your vats will overflow with good wine. That's the word tirosh. And it means a fresh grape juice. No, no doubt about it. Uh, Genesis 27 and verse 28. Another example of this word. It says, from the dew of heaven and the richness of the earth, may God always give you abundant harvest of grain and bountiful new wine. And as I've studied and as I've read from Ph.D. Uh, theologians, uh, the Old Testament verses that refer to new wine or the good wine, because right here we saw new wine, we saw good wine. Most of the time that's using this word tirosh, which means the new wine, freshly treaded, uh, freshly pressed grapes. And you can't get wine out of a grape you just squeezed, you know, a minute ago. That's, that's just, the, that's the facts. And so that's the first New Testament word. The second one is shikar. Now this word means strong drink. And this word undeniably refers to alcohol as we would know it in modern day society. This word is only used 23 times in the Old Testament, and it's usually used in a negative content or context. Okay, so there's that one. The third one I want to get to, though, is the word yayin. It kind of sounds like yayin, but no, it's yayin. Okay, and all right, stick to the teaching, Pastor Dave. Uh, yayin. This word is used approximately 141 times in the Old Testament. This is the most common word used, and it's the most confusing out of the three words used because it can mean either fermented or non-fermented grape juice. You really have to judge the context of the passage. And for those of you that are maybe new to studying the Bible or are new to some of this, one of the fundamental rules of Bible interpretation and study is the rule of context. You've got to read the verses before and the verses after to really know what's going on there because you can just pull one verse out of a whole chapter and go and try to build some doctrine off of that when really you took that out of context. That's You've got to see what's going on in the whole passage here, okay? And so uh, Proverbs 20, verse 1, we just read this. This is an example where yayin was used, and it says, Wine produces mockers, alcohol leads to bronze. Those led astray by drink cannot be wise. Well, that doesn't sound like a very positive thing, and that sounds like it's definitely referring to alcohol, right, that, as we know it. Isaiah 16.10 uses the same word, 
but in a non-alcoholic, non-fermented way. And it says, joy and gladness are taken away from the orchards. No one sings or shouts in the vineyards. No one treads out wine at the presses, for I put an end to the shouting while treading out fresh grapes. Listen, that's grape juice. That's not, that, that's, that's unfermented grape juice. And there's many more examples, but what I'm saying is, as we look at verses like that, you got to really use some Bible interpretation skills to know what's going on. And I'm moving, I'm moving fast, so keep up or listen to this podcast this week. But another Bible interpretation rule is the law of first mention, where you trace back a topic or subject to the earliest possible place that it's found in the Bible, and you can trace it throughout the rest of the Bible and see how it kind of ties back to that. Well, the first mention of alcohol in the Bible is Noah. In Genesis 9, Noah got drunk, okay? And the Bible wasn't like, hey, Noah got drunk, you can too. He got drunk, and he started acting stupid. He got naked in front of his sons, and he's got these three adult sons. They made fun of him, made a scene out of it, and they got in trouble for it. And it wasn't a positive uh, it wasn't a good thing, okay? And so his three boys, they made fun of him and, and made this whole scene. And anyway, he could have made fun of them. One of them was named Ham. Who names their kid Ham? I mean, come on. that's There's an endless supply of jokes when somebody is named Ham. But anyway, no one didn't go there because he was better than that, but he did get drunk. And so God wasn't giving him a pat on the back. That wasn't good. Another example is in Genesis 19, I believe. And that is a really uh, unfortunate instance. Yeah, Genesis 19, around verse 33, Lot gets drunk. And I want to be grotesque. This is super gross, but it's just factual what happened. And one of the earliest mentions of alcohol that we have in Scripture. Lot got drunk, and he had sexual relations with his two biological daughters and got them pregnant. I mean, bad, bad not good at all. And so their offspring became the people of Moab and Ammon, and they were bitter, brutal enemies to the people of Israel for centuries. There was bad things happened out of this alcohol experience right here. It was bad. And so, yeah, a lot that happened. I, it's unfortunate, but there's some things in Scripture that it's unfortunate, but that doesn't mean that it didn't happen. It's still there, and we can look at it. So anyway, that's in Genesis 19, verse 33. I also think of one of David's sons, Amnon. Uh, he was prone to alcohol. He was a drinker on a regular basis. He raped his half-sister, Tamar. And uh, because of this incestuous act, David's other sons hated Amnon's guts, they chased him down, and when he was drunk one day, they murdered him. And, I mean, you shouldn't murder, but I, they were pretty mad at him raping his sister. So, anyway, oh, and this is, I mean, what awful stories I just told. But can you see? I mean, come on. A lot of times in the Scripture, alcohol and wine led to some very unpleasant stories. These are not the inspirational ones of the children of Israel marching over the Jordan River and shouting down the wall. Those are fun but this is in there, too. And this happened and was traced back, obviously, uh, to some alcohol. All right. So there's three words that the Old Testament uses. There's only one word that the New Testament Greek uses for wine, and that's the word oinos. And uh, that makes the New Testament uh, scripture even more of a challenge sometimes to interpret on this topic, because if you were to study ancient Greek, they use this word for many, pretty much any great product. 
I'm going to go have a PB and an Oino sandwich. What? You know, I'm going to go have a, I'm going to go squeeze out and make some, uh, some, so a jar of oil. You know what? You're, you're making jam? What? I, but anyway, if you study ancient, they pretty much use the same word for everything, which makes the New Testament, uh, scripture that oinos is used for everything. Sometimes it means straight up wine and sometimes it could mean juice. It could mean something else. All right. So that's that. Now I want to move into a big portion that needs to be studied. And that's number two, Jesus and wine. Because I know for sure I'm going to hear, and I always hear, Will Jesus drink wine? (laughs) Okay. People called him a drunkard and a wine bibber. Have you ever heard that? Yeah, people called Jesus, some people called Jesus a drunkard. And if you look at that, you know who called him that, right? The Pharisees. Of course they said bad. They also called him a false prophet. They called him all a cheater. They called him all sorts of things. So I'm not going to base what the Pharisees called Jesus as my interpretation of the character of Jesus. Because, hey, I don't want you taking a character reference on Pastor Dave samples off of people that hate me. I'd rather you at least go to people that are neutral about me or people that like me. But it's unfair to characterize what the Pharisees called Jesus as being a fair interpretation of who Jesus was. Does that make sense? Thank you. All right. So here we go. Jesus and wine. Very interesting. John chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. I'm going to read the whole story here. I'll read this to the NLT. Whole story. Uh, it says, The next day there was a wedding celebration in the village of Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples were also invited to the celebration. The wine supply ran out during the festivities, so Jesus' mother told him they have no more wine. Dear woman, that's not our problem. I tried to say that to my mom once when she told me to make my bed. Dear woman, that's not my problem. Woo! <laughs> I'm kidding. Don't, don't, but, but kids, don't you say that to mom. Don't say, mommy don't like that. And, but Jesus could say that because he's Jesus and you're not. And so he said, dear woman, that's not our problem. Jesus replied, my time has not yet come. But his mother told the servants, do whatever he tells you. Doesn't that sound like a mom who just thinks her boy's the best? Whatever he tells you, just do it. That's my Jesus. Of course it is. All right. And so do whatever he tells you. Standing nearby were six stone water jars used for Jewish ceremonial washing. Each could hold 20 to 30 gallons. Those are some huge jars. Six times 20 would be what? I'll help you. It'd be 120, okay? Six times 30 would be 180 gallons. That's a lot of whatever liquid content you decide to put into that. And so Jesus told the servants, fill the jars with water. When the jars have been filled, he said, now dip some out and take it to the master of ceremonies. So the servants followed his instructions. When the master of ceremonies tasted the water that was now wine, not knowing where it had come from, though of course the servants knew, he called the bridegroom over. A host always serves the best wine first, he said. Then when everyone else has had a lot to drink, he brings out the less expensive wine. But you have kept the best until now. This miraculous sign at Cana and Galilee was the first time Jesus revealed his glory and his disciples believed in him. There you go. So there's that whole story. Now we're going to dig a little deeper and get into this story. All right. Uh, so they run out of wine. That's well documented because the host says we're out of wine. So Mary says, so they run out of wine. But then the groom says, man, you kept the best wine until now. 
most people, they, 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 they do that up front and then they start feeding their guests the cheap stuff because they don't really care so much anymore. Well, in Jewish tradition, according to the PhDs that I've studied, Jewish people considered the fresh grape juice, the unfermented fresh stuff to be the best wine that there was because you're thinking of wine as you know it. You're not thinking of how disgusting fermented wine was 2000 years ago. And I, in fact, uh, I'll pull this book out. Let me just read it straight out of this book. So I've got, uh, I think it's on page 62. Don't mind me. Don't mind me. Uh, page 62. So here's how one, uh, one, uh, chemist described what ancient wine would have tasted like compared to our wine. He said, the beverages also contained large amounts of acetic acid and other organic acids created during fermentation. Most wines of ancient times probably would turn a modern wine drinker's nose. These old style wines and new bottles would more closely resemble today's vinegar with some hints of cider than a prize winning Merlot. Is that how you say that? M-E-R-L-O-T. Okay, I'm not being silly. I just wanted to say that. So he says that basically the wine that they would drink for alcoholic purposes back then was probably more like your apple cider vinegar is today. And so, yeah. And so some people developed a taste for that for sure, no doubt about it. But you're sitting here thinking of some fine aged wine. And really, the good wine, according to the Jewish society, was the fresh stuff that didn't smell nasty and hadn't fermented yet and turned all nasty. So anyway, uh, this groom said, man, this is you saved the best until now. So that leads me to believe that Jesus probably didn't get a kegger out there and be like, man, I brought the hard stuff. Who's ready to rock it? All right. So the second thing that I think of, and I don't know if this is on your outline or not, but I'm just saying that, is making fermented alcohol consistent with the character of Jesus that we see in the rest of Scripture. Because I'm going to take any isolated story of Jesus and compare it to how he acted the rest of the time. Well, one thing I can tell you is this. Uh, Habakkuk 2.15 says, Woe to him who gives drink to his neighbor, pressing him to your bottle. And so if Jesus was out there giving booze to the neighbors, giving alcohol to those around him, well, that would be in direct violation of at least one scripture. And I don't see Jesus violating any scriptures anywhere. He came and he fulfilled the Old Testament and all this stuff. But he didn't go out there and say, I, I know it says this, but get, look what I made. You've got to taste this stuff, bro. It's awesome. No, I don't see that that's consistent with the character of Jesus. How about James 1.13? It says, and remember, when you're being tempted, do not say, God is tempting me. God is never tempted to do wrong, and he never tempts anyone else. All right? So God has never tempted you to do wrong in your life. Some people, they're being tempted, and they're like, man, I wonder if God, like, put this here to tempt me to see. I can guarantee you God did not set this up to tempt you. Because he doesn't tempt anybody to do wrong. So let's just go out on a limb here. And I don't know, we could say that there was, let's say there was 180 people, 200 people at this wedding, maybe more. Let's say out of that crowd, there's at least one person who has struggled with some sort of alcohol problem. Would it be fair of Jesus to come up to somebody that's a recovering alcoholic? I just made 180 gallons of booze. Here, have a cup. Just don't cross the magic threshold. Don't cross that line and get over into intoxication. Yo, just do it in moderation. There's 180 gallons, though. Have at it. 
that does not, to me, look consistent with the Jesus that I've become acquainted with over the past 34 years. I don't, Jesus, I've never seen him just laying temptation out there for somebody to come and go back to maybe a former way of life or whatever the case is. So, uh, where am I here? To, to say that Jesus made 120 to 180 gallons of fermented wine is a little bit, I think, of a stretch. Uh, even giving the verse we've read three times now, Proverbs 20, verse 1, where it says, My wine is a mocker, strong drink a brawler, whoever's led astray by it is not wise, yet Jesus pumps 180 gallons of the, the hardest stuff you've ever seen. No, I, I don't see that happening. Hey, you could, if you want to believe that, you can go right ahead. I just, I'm not seeing that one right there. Uh, and also, I can guarantee you this, that the hard liquor of today's standards would annihilate any alcohol they had then. Well, why, Jewish wine contains no sugar or yeast, because that's not kosher, so at best the alcohol content could only be minuscule anyway. Anyway, I'm, I'm going to mo- keep moving here. Uh, and one more thought, and this to me was, I didn't know this until last week, but, and I should have known it, if you just read the Bible, you would know this. But according to verse 13, uh, it tells us that it was the time for Passover. I think the King James says it is Passover, and other translations, the NLT says Passover was just about to start. Well, Jewish people are totally forbidden from drinking anything fermented or eating anything leavened during Passover. And so for Jesus to get a whole bunch of Jews liquored up right before Passover is honestly quite unlikely. If it was Passover already, no doubt about it, not a chance in the world that this was fermented because that would totally be against the Jewish law, which Jesus followed at that point in time. Or or even if it was right before Passover started, I don't see Jesus getting a bunch of them just hammered on 180 gallons of, of alcoholic wine, and then say, all right, get into Jerusalem. It's time to get there for Passover. We don't want to be late. You know, don't don't wreck your chariot on the way there. Watch out for a drunk driver. I don't see that happening, all right? So anyway, you could, you know, if you could choose to believe that or not, but I think that that's a pretty good point there. Um, another point that I'll cover quickly under this. Guys, I'm moving fast. I'm trying to cover this. Stick with me, all right? Uh, I hear a lot of people, I've even heard people at this church tell me this. But didn't Paul tell Timothy, drink a little wine for the stomach's sake, Timothy? So there you go. I'm allowed to go out with my friends and drink. That is, out of all the arguments I hear, that is probably literally the stupidest one that anyone could ever possibly bring to me as to why you should be able to go out to the club and knock back some with your buds. Listen, it, it does say that. No doubt about it. Paul said it, First Timothy 5.23, he told Timothy, don't drink only water, Timothy. Uh, you, sh- you ought to drink a little wine for the sake of your stomach because you're sick so often. So apparently, it's documented, Timothy had some uh, reoccurring stomach ailments. And so I like what Dr. Lemuel Baker said on this. He said, in today's society, the need for wine as a remedy is obsolete and is replaced by a variety of over-the-counter drugs. If you've got, if you're Tum Tum Hoots, go get some Pepto. Go, seriously, get some Kaopectate. That stuff works wonders. Get yourself some Tums. But to say, no, I'm doing this because I've got stomach issues. Here's my fifth one. That's not a stomach issue. That's a drinking issue. That's, you're not justifying 
that that makes absolutely no sense at all. And uh, and so and also a lot of people bring there are benefits to drinking red wine. That's proven. No doubt about it. So is a good multivitamin from Walgreens. I'm on one right now and I feel a lot better. But also, Dr. Joe Vincent, a chemist, published an article that states unfermented red grape juice has all the exact same health qualities as red wine. The positive effects are from the grapes, not the alcohol. So if really you've just got to have some to stay in your your vibe and in your health conscious, go down to food for less. I priced it. You can get a good jug of grape juice for $2.99 right now. You could drink that whole thing and feel great. But to say that you just got to have red wine for your health, I'm not buying that. Uh, it's from the grapes, not from the fermented alcohol in it. So, again, you could debate me on that. But anyway, I'm I, I probably going to take the word of an actual Ph.D.-level chemist over, over you. So, okay. So the third thing I'm going to say is this as we're moving along is there's a fine line between moderation and intoxication. And for me, that that line is too fine. I'm not comfortable with treading that line of, am I or am I not? Am I? Maybe I'm not. I don't know. I'll, I'll just say, right? I'll get as close as I can. There's a very fine line between moderation and intoxication, and that's too close for my comfort. Uh, and why is that too close for my comfort? Well, I'm going to go back to two verses I've already looked at. Galatians 5.21. This scares me a little bit. Galatians 5.21, the works of the flesh. Uh, this is halfway through it, but envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like these. Let me tell you again, as I have before, that anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. Drunkenness is on that list. That scares me. Maybe it doesn't do anything to you, and that's that's between you and God. But the thought of drunkenness and me not going to heaven, that scares me a little bit because I spent my entire life serving God and doing the best I can as a Christian. Definitely not perfect. Not doing good because I think that I'm going to earn my way to heaven, but doing good because Jesus deserves my best. And so... To cross over into drunkenness is a little bit too close of, to comfort for me, right? First Corinthians 6.10. We've read it already. It says, or thieves or greedy or drunkards or are abusive or cheap people. None of these will inherit the kingdom of God. So these verses are sobering to me. No pun intended. Sobering to me to think about because who is defining the line between drunk and not drunk. Just to say, as long as I don't blow a .08, that I'm good, man. I am not drunk. Okay. All right. Maybe. Maybe. But I'm still looking for the scripture that says, lest thou cross .08 in the breathalyzer. Doesn't say that. I don't know. Are, are, you know may, are you the judge of your own drunk? That's what most people would argue. Okay. Maybe you're your own judge. Okay. Maybe if you're comfortable with that, then whatever. Uh, but but that, but it's just it's scary to me because what if God is the judge of what intoxication is and and the police aren't the judge of that. And you're not really your own judge on that. But God's really the judge of what it is to cross that line. I don't know. I have not found a verse that specifically says where the line is. There's no, thou shalt not drink more than three 16-ounce draft beers. 
It ain't in there. It doesn't say it. But I'm going to go with the whole of Scripture that I'm studying and say, even if it's okay to just, you know, have a little fun, that line is too close for my comfort. I I don't want to dance around that line right there. Um, and I, I got this from Paul Harvey. Yes, he's old. Yes, I believe he's dead now. But still, I thought this is interesting. He said, a test show that after drinking three bottles of beer, there's an average of 13% net memory loss. That's quite a bit of memory loss. After taking only small quantities of alcohol, trained typists were tested and their errors increased 40%. Only one ounce of alcohol increases the time required to make a decision by nearly 10%. It hinders muscular reaction by 17% and increases errors due to lack of attention by 35%. That's one ounce of alcohol. Like, man, that's a lot. What if that's the line of intoxication? I don't know. What if the intoxication is simply when it begins to affect your reaction, your muscle, and your thought processes? What if that's one drop? I don't know. But I don't want to mess with that. Maybe you're more comfortable dancing around with that. I'm just not. Okay. So, there's a fine line. The fourth thing I'm going to get into. Again, I I was hoping to get some runners today, but this is the teaching time. so. So, it's not Pentecostal dance time. But this is teaching the fourth thing. And here, if you, for him who has ears to hear, let him hear this. If you have an ear to hear, please hear me out on this, if nothing else. We are New Testament priests and kings. We, as New Testament, New Covenant, born-again Christians, we are God's priests and kings in the New Covenant. Now, I mean, yeah, some people are preachers and pastors and apostles and prophets. Yeah, there's the fivefold ministry. But as a whole, the body of Christ, and I will show you, are the New Testament priests and kings. Um, but before we get there, Proverbs 31. This is a fascinating uh, reading right here. Proverbs 31. Are you sticking with me? Are you still here? I have not put you to sleep yet, right? Okay, here we go. This is, we're just, we're studying, man. We're digging in. We are digging in. Proverbs 31. And we're going to look at verses 4 through 7. So, I'm going to, I'm throwing a heavy revy out there. I'm not going to lie. I'm throwing a little bit of a deeper teaching on this point out there to you. If you can follow and comprende, amigo, this could really just settle the whole issue for you, okay? So, <laughs> Proverbs 31. Starting at verse 4, it says, It is not for kings, O Lemuel. It is not for kings to drink wine, nor for princes intoxicating drink, lest they drink and forget the law and pervert the justice of all the afflicted. Give strong drink to him who is perishing, and wine to those who are bitter of heart. Let him drink and forget his poverty, and remember his misery no more. So, pause on that. The scripture just told us for someone that's completely miserable and impoverished of heart, give them strong drink so they can just forget it all. So some people would say, oh, there it is. There is my exit door to go drink. You realize who that's talking about, right? Those impoverished of heart, those that have no hope, 
Those that are destitute and bitter and they have no hope for tomorrow. And don't that's talking about somebody that doesn't know the Lord. That is no doubt about it. Talking about somebody that doesn't have the hope of Jesus Christ. That's not talking about you, a born again, blood what blood bought child of the king. That's not talking about you. If you're have no hope, if you're so bitter of heart, that's not a born again child of God. That's someone that's out there. They're they're not going to make it anyway. They're going to perish. They're going to go and 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 they have no hope then that's who strong drink is for. Give it to them and they're going to die in their misery. That's to me that's sad. That's not an opening to go out and, and hit the club with my buds. That's that is a sad, depressing thing to read right there. And they have no hope. Wine is not for kings, Lemuel. You can give give strong drink to the hopeless person. Dr. Baker, again, great book. Ten dollars. Good book. <laughs> easy read. Really easy read. He He said regarding this strong drink is directly associated with despair and hopelessness. Proverbs sums it up by saying alcohol is the default drug for those who are on their last leg for the purpose of easing their pain. That is not for the born again Christian that has the Holy Spirit, has Jesus as their savior and knows where to go to to get their peace. Okay, back to the main point, though. That was just a side thing. The main point of this passage, though, is. God's kings are not supposed to drink wine. Well, where'd you come up with that conclusion where it said it is not for kings to drink wine? I didn't add to that. That's just simply what it says. It is not for kings to drink wine. Oh, Lemuel. Now, Lemuel, who is that? That's actually Solomon. That's a name that his mom, Bathsheba, called him. Now, sometimes mama will give her boy kind of a name that she thinks is special. Well, honestly, seriously, that Lemuel Proverbs 31 is written to Lemuel that Solomon and his mom, Bathsheba, wrote this to him. And so anyway, she tells him it's not for kings to drink wine. And then the New Testament, this is on your outline here. Please follow. The New Testament tells us that all born again children of God are now kings and priests. Well, where did you get that? I got that in Revelation chapter one. Who wants to turn there? Revelation chapter one. Verses 5 and 6. Revelation 1, verses 5 and 6. Are we learning anything at all? Are we getting somewhere? Okay. So Revelation 1, verses 5 and 6. And it, it tells us this. This is, I mean, this is, if this is written to the New Testament church. It's the book of Revelation. This doesn't take that much biblical interpretation. This is written to the modern day Christians. Revelation 1, verse 5. I'm picking up in the middle of the verse. To him who loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood and has made us kings and priests. He has made us kings and priests to his God and Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. And so uh, this is this is to Christians. Okay. Written to the modern day Christian it's talking about God the Father has made us kings and priests in the New Testament. We are the kings. We are the priests. You are not just the preacher, not just, you know, the, the song singer. This is, we are kings and priests. It is not for kings 
to drink wine. Maybe everybody else, but it's not for kings to drink wine. How about 1 Peter 2, 5? You thought I wasn't going, but I'm going right now. 1 Peter 2, 5. Maybe you thought I was going there. Who thought I was? Who actually knows what this verse said? Okay. <laughs> I'm kidding. I got a kid around. 1 Peter 2, verse 5. And so we saw a minute ago the book of Revelation written by John. Now let's see. 1 Peter written by Peter. 1 Peter 2, 5. It says, and you are living stones that God is building into his spiritual temple. What's more, you are his holy priest. Who is? We are. Not, not the pastor, not, not just Timothy, not just Paul, not just Peter. It says, you are his holy priest through the mediation of Jesus Christ. You offer spiritual sacrifices that please God. Do any of you offer spiritual sacrifices that please God? I'm not saying you go out and kill a goat or something. I'm saying that, that, that spiritual sacrifice. We, we offer the sacrifice of praise. We offer different spiritual sacrifices in the new covenant. Why do we do that? Because we're priests and kings. That's why verse 9, verse 9, he talks about people that are living the way of the world. But he says, but you're not like that. Say, I'm not like that. Why? For you are a chosen people. You are royal priests. A holy nation, God's very own possession. As a result, you can show others the goodness of God, for he called you out of the darkness and into his wonderful light. Well, everyone else is doing it. You're not like everybody else. They're not a king. They're not a priest. But you are, you are God's very own people, a holy nation. What does holy mean? I just told you this 45 minutes ago. It means set apart. Well, all my buddies go and do this. I, I hate to break this to you, but let's get real. The minute that you said, I'm going to be a Christian, you separated yourself some. And then for those of you who have taken it a step further and said, I don't, I, I don't want to just be, have my ticket to heaven. I want to be a disciple of Jesus. Because not everybody that calls themselves a Christian is a disciple. Let's just get real, okay? When you say, and it's your desire to be a disciple, you are separating yourself a step further. There were some things, the 12 disciples that followed Jesus, he had more than 12, we know that. But but let's just say this 12 that he had there. There are some things that everybody else could get away with and do. They didn't do it. Even if they had the right, even if, they, well, well, they technically, I can do that. Technically, I can drink a beer and not go to hell. I'm, I'm, I'm looking for more than that out of my Christianity. I, I'm looking to be at the absolute best level I can for Jesus, not just tiptoe the line. And so you're different. You're holy. You're not like everybody else. They're not kings. They're not priests. You are. You're a part of the royal family of God. And no doubt about it, Godly priests and kings are forbidden from drinking alcohol in the Bible, even if everybody else does. Proverbs 31, 4, it's not for kings to drink wine. Leviticus 10, 9, I'm moving fast. Leviticus 10, 9, talking to Aaron and the priesthood, it says, do not drink wine or intoxicating drink. You nor your sons with you, when you go into the tabernacle of meeting, lest you die, it shall be a statute forever Throughout your generations. That was to all the, the family of Aaron, the priesthood. And then 
Jesus tells me in the New Testament, hey, guess what? You're in the new priesthood. You're in the new kingdom family. You're kings and you're priests. You're part of the kingdom of God. It is not for kings to drink wine. Can somebody say amen to that? I mean, even if you don't like me anymore, that's in there. Okay? Even if you don't like me. But I know you still love me. Right? You love me. And I love you. All right? And so my fifth thing today is this. In my time of teaching is millstones are really heavy. What does that mean? Well, I'm, I'm going to explain myself. But millstones are really heavy. And this is yet another reason that I don't care to even if I'm at the family reunion and everybody else is having a beer. And, you know, I don't, I, I don't want them to think weird of me. Man, your family probably already thinks you're weird, okay? Just get over it. They think you're a nut. And so I'm telling you right now, you don't have to drink a beer to fit in with them. You can, you can, you can go, be with your family, have some time, and not be like them. Because i got a lot of family that I do not want to be like at all, not one bit. And, and they may, they drink their beer, but they also have been divorced three or four times. Their kids hate them by the time they're 18. They are depressed and have, I'm not, I'm not making fun of them, but I don't want to be like them. I don't want to be like that at all. In fact, and I tell people that I'm, I'm bragging on Jesus when I say this. I love my life. I love my life. I love my life. I've got an amazing, beautiful wife that I met when I was 17, that I married when I was 19, and they're still married 15 years later. She loves me. I love her. Life is good. I've got four healthy children that love me, and I say it all. I've got a church that loves me. I don't have all the money in the world. I don't have the biggest house in Barstow, but that's not what I'm going for. I'm going for I love Jesus. Jesus loves me. I don't really have any big troubles in this life. My life, at least for me, my life is awesome. I love it. I love life. I'm happy. I've got joy. I've got peace. I don't lay awake tossing and turning at night. I read the Bible. I watch Little House on the Prairie or the Waltons. And then I go to bed every night, seven days a week, brother. And my life's good. And not for one minute do I say the only thing that can make this better, just a little bit better, is if somebody would bring some bud over, somebody would bring to not one minute, man. I have no regrets when it comes to this topic. I don't have one regret. Other than I wish I hadn't drank that half of a beer in high school, but I did. So anyway, that was disgusting. Okay. Millstones are really heavy. So even if it is perfectly okay to drink alcohol as long as you don't thresh the magic threshold that none of us actually know what that is. Even if it's okay, you have a responsibility to your brothers and sisters to not cause them to stumble. There are people in this room, and there's a lot of church members today that I don't know if they felt uncomfortable or what that aren't here, that I know have come out of this lifestyle and are trying to get out of it. But there are a lot of your Christian brothers and sisters in this church that have tried hard and have overcome a lot to get rid of alcohol in their life. I'm telling you that right now. There's a lot of new Christians that come in here, even new ones, here today, 
that think that you, whether you know it or not, think that you are a super saint. I'm serious. I mean, I have people come to me and, man, you've probably never done anything wrong, Pastor Dave. I mean that. Shut up. I have. I have. And I don't have to rehearse my sins to you to make you, you know, to give me some street cred. But I've done wrong. I've sinned. You've sinned. But a lot of times, for some whatever reason, people look to pastors like they don't ever do it. Yes, they do. And people look to you because you've been in here a while. And they think, man, she probably, you know, Miss Betty, she's per She doesn't do anything wrong. She has. Uh, not that I know of because she's about one of the most per But at the same time, or Miss... Her and Miss Cindy, I'm like, my gosh, Lord, like, man, like some of the best people in the world. But anyway, uh, but still, they've sinned. Just let's just they don't have, let's take let's just assume they've they've just somewhere along the way done something wrong. So people look up to us, though, and 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 I'm telling you, even though you can do it in moderation, what if it just totally screws them up? And what if there's someone that's fighting to overcome this? They see you down there at the restaurant just having one because it's okay for you. And they're like, oh, it's okay. Okay, Robert can do it. So I know he's like, dude, that guy's a saint. I can, I can do it too. Let's just, let's just get theoretical. Say they're like, okay, I'll have one too. I, I can have two. I, I'm feeling good. Yeah, I, I don't feel, I know, I'm, I'm across the line. Three, four, they get drunk. They go home. The next day they wake up and you know who's going to be there to rub their face and their puke? The devil is. Because he's the accuser of the brethren, and he loves to bring people's mistakes up. He loves to bring guilt and shame and condemnation. And I can tell you this much, even if it's totally okay for you, and, and you somehow know what the threshold is, and, and you're fine. If you cause your brother, if you cause that guy, that girl that's fought so hard to overcome this, to stumble back into it, I have every right to do that. All right, fine. Exercise your rights, brother. You go for it. But look what Jesus said in Luke 17, because this scares the wits out of me. Luke 17, verses 1 and 2. Luke 17, verses 1 and 2. One day, Jesus said to his disciples, there will always be temptations to sin. No doubt, the recovering alcoholics can always have, you know, well, in theory, would always have some temptation but what sorrow awaits the person who does the tempting? It would be better to be thrown into the sea with a millstone hung around your neck than to cause one of these little ones to fall into sin. Jeez. So Jesus says, if you cause one of these little ones, you could be talking about children, you could be talking about a new Christian. If you cause one of these little ones, you would literally be better off. You would have a better chance of survival to have a millstone hung around your neck and thrown into the ocean. Do you realize what your chances of survival are to be changed to a millstone and thrown into the middle of the Pacific? Unless your name is Harry Houdini, your chances of survival are very, very little. Millstone. I was just actually seeing them on TV. It's like 900 pounds, 1,000 pounds hung around your neck, and, and Jesus said, if you cause one of these, you'd be better off. Better off? Better off? Not even, not even, it's, it would be like if you, he said, you would be better off to have this happen to you 
than to deal with answering for this on Judgment Day. I'm paraphrasing, but come on. You're going to get to heaven and think, oh, man, yeah, woo! And Jesus says, you realize what you did with your liberty? Look at this young guy right here. He never made it back into the kingdom of God. He never made it back in because you had to exercise your rights to party. You had to fight for your right to party. And there's some Christians that are, oh, they're fighting for it. Oh, I have every right. Okay, you know what? You have every right. But that is terrifying to me to think that I could stand before Jesus someday and I caused some newbie, some new Christian to go back on it. Just show of hands. I am taking a poll right here. And if, if the answer is no, don't raise your hand. If it is, say yes. How many of you in here would be shocked or offended if you went down to, let's say, Chili's on Friday night and saw Katie and I sitting at the bar drinking beer? Okay. Good. That's what I thought. Not every hand's going to go up. Some of you, you wouldn't care. Some of you do care. They, here's the thing. Enough of you care. It would be an issue to enough of you to make me say, I'm good. At least 50% of you raised your hand. That's, that's good enough for me. You think, oh, half of my friends don't even care. Well, half of them, it would be an issue. And so for you, maybe uh, most of the people I run around, most of the people I know, it wouldn't be an issue. If even one of you, but I just had half of this room raise their hand and say, I got to admit, that would shock me. That would offend me. That would set me back a little bit. That's enough for me to say, you know what? There's a lot of drink options down there at Chili's. I could get me some of that blackberry tea, get me an extra pump of it. Come on. Yeah. I know how to party. Yeah. All right. You know, I, I could I get some of that lemonade. I, there's a lot of drink options. I could quench my thirst without sending somebody else to hell. Can I get an amen today? So I'm telling you right now, that's something to think about. And as I kind of close down, I'm going to say that 13.8 million Americans abuse alcohol that we know of that actually admit to it. 13.8 million Americans abuse alcohol. God definitely can't use me to reach those 13.8 million if I'm going to possibly be a stumbling block and cause them to go back and go to hell. Now, maybe you're thinking, you're getting a little loose there. Well, whatever. But it makes sense to my mind that there's a potential audience of 13.8 million people that I'm no longer useful to witness to and evangelize and reach. God's going to have to find somebody else. Well, there's still a whole lot more. That's fine. Whatever. But I'm telling you, what. basically, I'm going to boil it down to my final conclusions. Who's ready for the final thoughts and conclusions? And again, I, I'm okay if you didn't agree with this. If you don't, that's totally fine. You're not going to hurt my feelings. I, that's fine. I, but I believe that I've laid out a very strong biblical case today for what I've said. Uh, my conclusion after nearly two months of pretty hardcore study is consuming alcohol without getting drunk is not a one-way ticket to hell, but it is definitely not God's will for your life. So I don't think you go out and drink some wine, have a beer. I don't think that you're instantly going, you know, down to hell. But I don't think that that's what God wants for your life. I think that you could do better than that for him. Uh, it may not send you to hell, conclusion number two, but being a drunkard will. Again, that sounds mean. And Pastor Dave's a hater. No, Galatians 5.21, 1 Corinthians 6.10. I, that's just what it says. I can't, I can't change what it says. Uh, conclusion number three, we are priests and kings in God's kingdom, so therefore alcohol is not for us. I think we've laid that out. 
And the fourth conclusion is it will also eliminate my ability to reach a whole lot of people. And my final thing I'm going to say is this, is that the line between drunk and sober is too thin of a line for me to mess around with. I have come to the conclusion, I'm not going to judge you, I'm not going to, you know, you, you, you do you. I don't believe that Christians to drink alcohol in any modern format. That's what I see with the whole context of the counsel of God's word. If you want to exercise you, you have the right to do whatever you want. You have that liberty. You go right ahead. I would caution you to make sure you don't cause a brother or sister to stumble because you've crossed a line there. That's pretty not good. And I would caution you to somehow figure out what the magical line is of intoxicated and not intoxicated. And if you find that, then Godspeed. God rest you, merry gentlemen. Let nothing you dismay. Remember, our Christ, our Savior, was born on Christmas Day. I don't know where that came from. But anyway, that's uh, so that's what I've seen out of my study of Scripture. If you'd like to study for a few months and praise God, you go right ahead. It's too close for comfort for Pastor Dave and the Samples family. We're going to stay back from that and we're going to find another beverage of choice. And we're going to go with that and still serve God, because I can tell you this much. No one's ever come up to me and said, I'm offended that you don't drink alcohol. But there is a chance that someone could come up and say, I'm offended that you do. Amen. Good word, Pastor Dave. Let's go ahead and stand up together today. That's that teaching. Thank you for listening to this podcast. For more information, visit hdwc.org. 